sun goes down here. <laughs> All right, I'm good. Oh, we, oh, we're good to go now, man. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Oh, we're already recording. We're good. To yep. Go? Okay, cool. Yes, I mean, I, I read this book recently called Five Regrets of the Di- the Top Five Regrets of the Dying, which is a really interesting read. But it's it's one of those books where you could actually just look at the table of contents and get the gist of it. So right. The author gets into the five. Basically, the author was someone who took care of people towards the end of their lives. And they would be very honest about what their regrets are in life. And there were certain common themes that came up, hence the top five regrets. But the book is an interesting read. But even if you looked at the table of contents, she lists out those five regrets. And they're pretty self-explanatory, but that doesn't mean that they're not worth talking about because they definitely are. So the first regret is regret number one. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And that's huge that one right there. Yeah, man, you write a whole book just on that. Was that was the book. That's the book right there. <laughs> it is. It is. And that's the biggest, out of the five, that's the one that I think is the most important. I'm like, because why would she start with that one? Yeah. I'm like, that, that just makes it like, I don't want to read any further. Once you get that chapter. <laughs> yeah. Because with that one, it makes me think of how I felt, honestly, my entire life until I got into what I do now, mm-hmm. with a few exceptions. Because the last job I ever had, that's a question I would often ask myself. I go, I can't live like this for the rest of my life. This is not who I am. I can't be in this corporate world bullshit. Looking at guys that are 20, 30 years ahead of me, I go, that's my future if I don't make a course correction here. And I'm going to be miserable because I was miserable doing that. And then often I, I would, I mean, I went to college because my parents expected me to go to college. I got a regular job because my people around me, that's what, that was the only advice I got is like, get it, go to college, get a job. So you're living up to the expectations of others at the expense of yourself. You're not living up to your own expectations because this, I was unhappy. I knew I wanted to get into the fitness industry. I knew I wanted to get into what I wanted to do now. And I, and I would often have this fear of never doing it. I would be like, what if I never jump and take my shot right. and get into what I really want to do? And then I end up just doing this for the rest of my life because I didn't have the courage to live the life that I wanted. I just tried to live up to the expectations of others. And that was always a big fear of mine. And that's, I say this as a good thing because that's what ultimately provoked having the courage to make the shot, to make the jump. Yeah. And a lot of times when folks are living the lives of others, as I say it, you know, and they're pretty much being this vessel of other people's broken dreams, right. <laughs> you know, you know, what ends up happening that it becomes a detriment to these people and they end up acting out in other ways. And a lot of times they don't even realize why they become, they put themselves in certain situations where they may be, you know, in, they might get like addiction or something like that, or they're constantly putting themselves in situations that is very harmful to them or they're, they're, they have eating disorders or let's just say, hell, they, they overtrain. They're at the gym like four hours a day, every day. You know, a lot of times they're not even realizing that they're running or they're acting out from living this life that's not theirs. And this is their, now they feel like this is their outlet by doing these things, but, and they feel like this is giving their body the release that it needs, but it's actually even doing even more harm physically, emotionally, and and mentally on top of the physical and well, actually the emotional and mental harm has already been placed upon them by like trying to have, trying to live someone else's life. And and so in their hell, a lot of times folks are having shitty relationships because of this, because again, a lot of times they're with people. They didn't necessarily want to be with that person, but this was the type of person that someone else said this is they, who they need to be with. So it's almost, it's so crazy how in the Western world, sometimes you see that they frown upon the whole idea of arranged marriages, you know, in other cultures. But if you really sit down and think about it in Western culture, when you sit there and think about, okay, here's the plan right now. You know, you graduate, you go to college, or you get a good job, or if you can't do any of those things, join the military, then you get married, you have kids, and, you know, the, the best you can hope for is that you can retire and you, you get Social Security. And, but you have to get married and you got to have kids. And so every time someone's dating someone and they come around their parents, 
they're like talking like, so is this the one, you know, have you, have you thought about putting a ring on her finger? And so it becomes almost like an arranged marriage for the point, because it's like every time it's, you've been with someone for a certain amount of months, you're being pushed, you know, to go ahead and make a good woman out of this, this, this woman, you know, or, you know, it's time for you to go ahead and be legit. Like, okay, I was legit before all this. What are you talking about? I was legit when I was single. Sometimes I was, I was a legit man whore, but Hey, whatever. So, <laughs> as but, long as you were, as long as you were a legit man whore, not right. right. <laughs> like, if you're going to be a man whore, let's do this shit. Go let's all go the all way out. with it. You know? <laughs> don't, don't tell me about how you hooked up with one or two girls and you're calling yourself a man whore. That's not a man whore. <laughs> you're not in the low double digits at least you don't qualify. <laughs> I'm talking about low, low double, low double digits in a, in a certain time frame as well. Exactly. <laughs> Not over the years, buddy. We're talking about over the weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, man. So a lot of times, like, they're constantly trying to push it. Like, or you'll you'll see them like, oh, I know this good. Like, you have these some of these mothers like, oh, I know this this really cute. She's really pretty and really smart girl at church and blah, blah. I'm going to give her your number. (laughs) You know, you you should give her a call and take her out and yada, yada. So it becomes almost a bit of an arranged marriage. We just... We just dress it up differently. But at the end of the day, what if someone doesn't want to get married or what if they don't want to have kids? But then a lot of times in this society, especially in the West, that's frowned upon. It's like you're in your mid thirties and you're a, you're a woman, you know, and they're thinking like, Oh, you're not, you're still single. You haven't had kids yet. Um, what are you waiting for? Uh, nothing. I don't want to have kids, <laughs> you know, or if it's a guy and it's like, Oh, any man, any man that's like, it is, 30s and 40s and he's single hasn't had kids yet oh he must be gay really (laughs) really that's that's the conclusion you came up with first of all maybe he's a maybe he's responsible have you looked at the world lately (laughs) maybe he's thinking like there's no way i'm going to bring a child into this world with all the madness that's going on right now you ever thought about that you know no because what you're thinking of you're looking at from your point of view and sometimes it's not even your point of view it is just this tradition that's been bestowed upon you and how things should be. And you never questioned it. Well, maybe this person question is like, yeah, that's fine and dandy if that's what you want to do, but that's not for me. So they're thinking like, yeah, I don't want to get married or, you know, I don't want to deal with all that. I don't want to have kids, you know? So this, if it's their choice, who are you to sit there and say, no, they're wrong because that's their truth and you need to let them have it. And it has nothing to do with you. So even if you're, let's say the sibling or the parent or whatever. I always laugh when these grandparents, you know, or, you know, these parents will look at their children who are adults and say, when are you going to give me some grandkids? <laughs> are you going to raise them? <laughs> you going to pay for them? You going to take care of them for the next 18 years? Because honestly, it's not, that's not in my budget right now. <laughs> it's like straight up. Cause the thing about it, it's easy for them. It's very passive. It's very passive because you may keep them on a weekend, but then you send them back. <laughs> that's a nice luxury to have. But the rest, other folks have, they're they're stuck with them for at least 18 years. So again, man, it's just, it's really, I feel like it's crazy to have to say that it takes a lot of courage to live and walk your own path, which, which is something you would think on the surface should be a no brainer for most folks. Well, you know, you know what the problem really is, is that people crave being liked and accepted so oh, yes. much the people pleasing is a thing man it's a disease yeah, there, that peer pressure never ends it's not just something you deal with in high school it's always there it's always omnipresent it's always around and we want to be liked <clears throat> when i say we i'm not talking about myself because honestly i don't give a fuck about whether people like me or not i know you feel the same way but we in general want to be accepted and liked by people especially people we respect you know some people look up to their parents as if they're their heroes. You know, my dad, my, my dad's this, my dad's that. You know, my dad's a good guy, but I never wanted to be like him. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, and I don't say that in a bad way. It's just, I want to be my own guy. I, I, have my own, I have my own ideas of who I am and what I wanted to be. But sometimes people fall into this pressure because they're so eager to please, whether it's their parents or whether it's their friends or whether it's someone that they look up to. And that can get you into a lot of trouble because now you feel you have to take these paths that you know, you know, that, you know, you know, the funny thing is though, we, we always have this voice in our head 
So when you do something that you know you shouldn't be doing, there's always a voice that says, don't do it, don't do it. And then you just do it anyway. So when you, a lot of times when I talk to people and they like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I go, yes, you do. You just, you're just, you just think that what you want to do is not plausible, that people are going to laugh at you if you bring right. it up, that it's not realistic. I always knew I wanted to get into the fitness industry. I knew when I was in high school, because I used to just devour training books and read the magazines and work out. In fact, I would watch these videos on training technique and my mother would come in and go, Michael, if you dedicated yourself to your studies, the way you watch these videos, you'd have straight A's. You know? <laughs> what she should have said is, wow, he has a real passion for this, that this, right. is, this is potentially his future. And I made fun of her years later when I got into the business and I had such a le- high level of success. And I was like, look, mom, remember when you used to make fun of me for watching all these videos telling me I should focus on my studies that way? I go, good thing I didn't listen to you. And she's like, good for you, Michael. <laughs> you <know? laughs> know, you know, she knew that, that it all worked out. So yeah. sometimes, you know, they didn't see a pathway. They go, look, they're looking at the fitness industry thinking, well, what are you going to be some dumb bodybuilder? Are you right. going you know, to be a personal trainer at a gym? Not that there's anything wrong with either of those things, but you have to remember both of my parents are PhD. So they had a little bit of this elitism. Yeah. So they're like, <laughs> they're thinking, they're looking at you like, so you're going to get paid to get, to be strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they looked, not, not even that. They looked at physical training as a waste of time. They go, being physically strong, that's a waste of time. You should be mentally strong. You should right. be mentally proficient. But being well, physically guess what? strong. <laughs> to be physically strong, you have to be mentally strong. <laughs> well, my, my attitude is you should be mentally strong, physically strong, financially strong, spiritually strong, emotionally right. strong. If you don't have all five of those things, in my you, opinion, you're not strong. So if there's a guy who's really strong in terms of his physical abilities – but he's financially weak. He's emotionally weak. He's morally weak. He's spiritually weak. Is that he's person weak. really strong? No, not in my opinion, because he's strong in one area, but he's not strong where it really matters. If you're physically strong, but you have no morals, then so what? If you're, if you're physically strong, but you're financially weak, you're not strong because you're at the mercy of circumstances. Like people know during this pandemic, if you, if you weren't financially strong last year, hmm. You were at the mercy of circumstances, like so many people. And that means you're in a weak position. And if you're in a weak position, you're not strong. Doesn't mean you're a bad person, but you have to accept certain realities. Otherwise, you're not going to do anything to change. Yeah, you got to ask yourself, why were you so pissed, especially toward the last three or four months of 2020, when both sides of of the politicians of, of, of both parties were bickering over the stimulus checks? And why was it every time you were hanging on the just the very notion that oh it's going to pass this week and then when it didn't you were so disappointed you were so angry that right there should have been a, a wake-up call for you like why the hell are you so why don't you should ask yourself, why am i so emotionally invested in getting a check you know from the government it's like okay and especially when you're sitting there you're waiting for it and what could you have been doing during that time and coming up with so it should have made you like wake up like okay why how did i get into this position where i'm I'm actually having to pay attention to this and hoping that I can actually get a stimulus check. And okay, look, there's people are hurting. A lot of people are hurting again, and they needed that stimulus check to help for a moment. Cause that's pretty much at that time, you know, what was it? I don't even remember. It was like 800 bucks or something like that. 600 bucks, whatever, you know, how far is that going to go? You know, so that might take care of maybe one bill or two, but so you got to ask yourself, okay, instead of just sitting there and thinking about, okay, I'm waiting for the next check. You should be thinking like, okay, how can I put myself in a position where I don't give a damn if the checks come out or not. I'm still going to be okay with with what I, what's necessary for me to, you know, live my life. And so I would just look at that more of a wake up call than, you know, just sitting there looking for, you know, it's not even a handout because it's actually your money. So what's crazy is it's your money being handed to you, but being presented as a gift. It's kind of a crackhead move, if you ask me. (laughs) Like somebody breaks into your car, steals your radio, and then someone comes knocking on your door about an hour later, like, hey, man, you like to buy a radio? I got a bet. It's definitely, this will sound really good in your car. And then you look like, wait a minute, that looks like mine. (laughs) No, 
No. Then you look like my radio has been stolen. Well, I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> isn't a good thing I showed up today with a radio? Looks like you need one. <laughs> so, <laughs> like so, and next thing you know, you're paying. You're, you're sitting there. You're happy that this person brought you the radio that they stole from you. And that's pretty much how these stimulus checks seem to me, which is no different than like income tax returns. You know, which is basically an interest-free loan that you give the government every year. Right. So exactly. it's not a gift. You know, you can't you can't take something that I worked hard for and give it to me and make me, you know, sit there and beg for it and say, hey, here's a gift for you. It's just mine. So it's one of those situations where you just got to, you know, kind of look and you got to ask yourself, like, okay, what can I do better? What can I do better? So I'm not at the mercy of someone else. And that's no different than what we're talking about here in this first regret, you know, and basically living the life of other people, you know. So a lot of times you're going to find yourself doing things that you don't want to do when you when you live like that. And you are a people pleaser and it comes back and bites you in the ass. A lot of times, not only do we want acceptance, we want support. So we want to come up with an idea and people around us are like, man, that's a great idea. What can I do to help you out? Now, some people get that. I've never gotten that in my life, especially from right. family. And well, I get questions like, really? You think that'll work? Well, I, <laughs> I wasn't asking you, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But I don't care <laughs> yeah. what you're working on. Like, look, when I got in, when I, when I started playing around with kettlebells, this was 2001, right? So the only kettlebell source out there was Pavel and Dragondor. He had done one certification, which had maybe eight people. The second certification was the one I went to, and that was in 2002. Now, once I went to that certification, that was actually the first time I played around with real kettlebells. And what I mean by that is I was training with this plate loading device. That oh, yeah, I remember those. <laughs> so it was, and there's actually photos of me on the internet still with this. So it was basically a handle, which you loaded dumbbell plates on. Yeah. That was my first exposure to kettlebells because I looked at the prices of them and I go, I don't, I don't want to pay for that. And then I got to buy multiple ones. Like now right. I'll just get this plate loading thing. So I, I fucked around with the plate loading stuff, got an idea of kettlebells. But once I got my hands on the real things, which was at that certification, I couldn't go back to that plate loading device. And what's funny is once I got my hand on pro grade kettlebells man. or competition bells later, I, I couldn't go back to the ones. Yeah. That, <laughs> like, that was a life changer, man. You don't understand. Like I, I actually got rid of all my other kettlebells. Oh, the only kettlebells I have now at the house are those competition yeah, pro competition bells. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you know, like my wife, like she loves BMWs. Now, trust me, BMWs are not Texas friendly when it comes to flooding. <laughs> but let me tell you, when you go from, I'm not saying this is what I have, but just imagine someone because I'm just using that BMW, especially one that's a little bit more up the line, you know, higher, you know, as far as the classes or whatever. But when you go from, let's just say, driving a Pinto, and then, which was just getting you from point A to point B, you know what I'm saying, or, or Hornet or something like that. And then the first time you get behind like a BMW or let's say or a Ferrari or whatever, and you can afford it. And you're like, there's no way I could ever go back to a regular ass car at that point. And not shitting on people with regular cars. But just saying, you know, just like once you've t- once you've had that feeling and you see like, oh, look how this thing handles. Look how it does curves, look whatever else. Look how it turn these corners. It's so smooth. And when you sit there and feel the suspension and all that, it's like, OK, there's no way I can go back to driving a hoopty ever again. Well, that's what I feel like those pro grade kettlebells, you know, at this point, like just the way the handle fits and just the way it fits in your hand. And pretty much, I mean, the shape, everything is like, yeah. You know, we're waxing poetic about kettlebells, but trust me, when you've had those older ones, especially during the times that we were coming up during kettlebells, some of the stuff that was out there, you know, tearing your freaking hands up or whatever, like, come on, man. (laughs) It's like, ooh, and finally get like the professional ones, the competition bells. It's like, you can never go back. Like, it's just to even look at some of these knockoffs now, you just have to laugh, like, how dare you? It's kind of like the Kia that tries to emulate a BMW body. Like you can sit there and try to look like a Mercedes or BMW you want. You're a Kia. Stop it. Well, you, okay. you know, with certain techniques, because I came yes. through that hard style approach of kettlebell training where it's all high tension when you're military. Yeah. You weren't using high tension on ballistic moves, but we were using a lot of high tension on what's considered a grinding move. And when I when I when I picked when I took Valeri Fedorenko's course and learned how the real Russian kettlebell training system. I didn't get into the sports side of things. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do those lifts, the jerks and snatches. Yeah, clean, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was never something that appealed to me, but I liked the technical Technique. proficiency right. and I wanted to apply that to things that I like to do like kettlebell presses. So even if you look at how I press kettlebells, overhead kettlebell pressing today, you can tell that 
I'm taking stuff from that camp and applying yeah. it. I, I use very minimal tension. I do a drop like I'm doing kettlebell jerks from the top back to the bottom. Yes. I, and and I and I and then I use a chest bump to get the weights moving. So it's very fluid and there's minimal tension even when the weights get pretty heavy. You don't use you don't you don't have to use a lot of tension because the better your technique, the less tension you need. So yeah. it, it was all these things of just progressively changing as you went along. But I mean, when it, going back to when I took this kettlebell certification, I knew, I knew without a shadow of a doubt in my mind that this would be something that would blow up. And the time to get in was now. You don't wait for someone else to carve the path. That's the other problem that prevents people from living their own life. They're always waiting for someone else to carve the path for them. They don't want to be the first. I don't want to be first. They <laughs> yeah, they don't want to be the trailblazer. Someone else has to have proof of concept. There was no one that was doing what I would, went on to do at that time. Nobody was traveling around the work, country teaching kettlebell workshops or even teaching it locally. Nobody was writing articles for, for, on kettlebells for magazines or, or doing kettlebell specific, trying to build a kettlebell specific business. All you had was Pavel and he taught certifications. And when he taught courses, it was only for military. He didn't teach the general public. So the only way to work with him was to go to one of his courses. He did some stuff at the learning annex, but it wasn't kettlebell related. It was stretching and breathing patterns. It was other things. So there was no example of, oh, okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make it work. But right. that, that, that to me was an opportunity. That to me was a good thing. I didn't see that as a bad thing. I saw it as an opportunity. I go, I can be the first one to get this thing going. Because what stopped me from getting into the fitness industry before is that I never felt I was qualified to be in the fitness industry. I go, what, what, what's my background? I was never an athlete in high school. I never competed in powerlifting or Olympic lifting or bodybuilding. So how, what, what's, my, how do, how, what's my unique selling point coming right. into this thing? You know, those are the things that were self-defeating. I was pretty strong for a guy in the gym, but nothing exceptional, nothing where people are like, man, you know, let me figure out how he built that strength. But when I got into kettlebell training, First of all, I love kettlebell training. So I didn't get into kettlebell training because I thought it was some gimmick that I could make money off of. Once I got into kettlebells, that's all I did for a while. I didn't, I didn't go to the gym anymore. I didn't lift barbells or anything else. I did bodyweight stuff and kettlebells, and that was it. So I was genuinely very enthusiastic about it. But I also saw this as my way to have a unique selling point because nobody else, there were people that were way more experienced than me in terms of strength and conditioning, but not in the context of kettlebell training. They didn't have the kettlebell training technique because they never lifted kettlebells. They never used it. It wasn't part of their program. So I go, I can get into this whole kettlebell training thing and be a legitimate expert focused on being a kettlebell instructor and get ahead of everyone else. You know, by the time other people get in, I'm going to have time on them. I'm going to have 20 workshops in the bank already or a couple of years experience. And that's what ended up being the case. So it was, it was the, I was the right person at the right place at the right time. There was a convergence of events, but if I didn't have this strong passion for the fitness industry, I wouldn't have even seen this as an opportunity. It was only because I understood that industry pretty well as an outsider that I knew that, Hey, you know what? I bet people will love these movements. I bet women are going to like swings. I bet they're going to like snatches because it's different. It's, it's more dynamic than doing fucking curls at the gym. You know, that a lot, a lot of women looked at weight training as boring or they didn't want to get big. It just didn't appeal to them. But a lot of women have found kettlebell training very appealing because of the, the dynamic nature of the movements of the ballistic movements in particular. So I, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that it would be something that would blow up, but I didn't wait for someone else to blow it up and then jump in. I actually played a role in it blowing up. And there were other people, obviously, Steve Cotter, Steve Maxwell, yourself came along later that all of us together created this big wave that we all rode, but at the very beginning, there was no one doing that. There was no right. one creating a wave. So you had, to, you had to create that wave yourself. You didn't, you didn't wait for someone else to be a trailblazer. And honestly, I've never waited for someone else to be a trailblazer. I mean, I was a vegan for 10 years by the time I got into the fitness industry. And like I said on a recent clip, I got a lot of hostility from people for being a vegan and also kettlebell training. There were people that lifted traditionally that said, you know, fuck kettlebell training. This is just some yeah. bullshit to make money. Just lift dumbbells. You know, you would hear that kind of stuff all the time. Like anything you can do with the kettlebell, you can, you do, can do with, with a dumbbell. dumbbell. <laughs> you would hear that bullshit all of the time. And they were there trying to swing dumbbells. I'm like, oh, yeah, man. yeah. And it looks so stupid. I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't sit around curling kettlebells. <laughs> right. I mean, you can if you want to, but it doesn't but... really make sense for that movement. It's, There's it's a more efficient way of doing it. You know, I yeah, it's not really efficient. Yeah, it's not really comfortable curling it. 
but it's, but and then, and then being a, on a vegan diet, I got a lot of flack for that too. It was like, Oh, you vegan pussy, this plant, that guy's a plant-based asshole. You know, he's, there's no way he's going to make that work. And so, I mean, so I had all, I, I had those two things and let's be honest, let, let's call out the elephant in the room. The fitness industry is run by white men and white women. So I'm a non-white guy coming into this as well. So it might not have been blatant. Well, first of all, they don't even know what my ethnicity is. But as I've said many times, I've often been perceived as black. So I, I, I never say that I am, like I understand completely what it's like to be black, but I understand more than a lot of people do because I've been on the receiving end of racism directed towards black people, me being perceived as a black person. So I get that. And that, that's, a, that's another thing that I dealt with. I didn't think about it until maybe years later, but that was a, definitely another factor. There was hostility there. It's like, hey, look, we run the show here. So we, we, don't, we, don't, we, we decide who's going to be famous and who isn't going to be. But the reality is nobody can decide that for you. When you're an entrepreneur, you, can, you don't have to live by all these stupid rules that are in the system. Unless you're, unless you're trying to get a job at a, at a, on a team or at a university or even at a place of business. But I always did things independently. I promoted my own workshops. I wrote articles and got paid for it. Everything I did, I took charge of every facet of this business because I was so afraid of not succeeding. And when I say that, I don't mean fear of failure. I mean that if I don't make this work, I'm going to have to go back to what I did. Now, that, was, that was constantly on my mind. So I, I didn't leave anything to chance. If I'm going to do a workshop, I'm not going to get someone else to try to pay me to do it. I'm going to take care of registrations, book the venue, write the ad copy, do all of it. Because I don't want to leave my success or failure in the hands of someone else. If I fail, it's going to be because it's not going to be because I didn't do everything that I could have done. I'm going to take charge of every facet of it. Yep. So yeah. the... I don't know, man. It's just, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I grew up in a home where I was encouraged with my ideas. Yeah, okay. So, and then, and I had parents who were like, we don't want you to have to sit here and struggle and work, you know, work this hard just to get by and live check to check. You know, you're, you're very intelligent. You, you're very creative. So what they encouraged me to do is like, you have all that talent, make sure you make it work for you. That's what I was told. That was it. You know, and so whatever I was getting into, they were there supporting it. You know, whether it was art, you know, whatever it is, sports, whatever, they were right there. As long as I was using my mind, it kept me busy. It kept me out of trouble, not going on a path. A lot of other kids are going down or whatever. And it's like, you know, they, they were there to support that in the best way they could. So I'm glad I was never discouraged from doing the things that I really wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes the things they didn't understand. They came from, I was raised by my grandparents, so therefore they come from a different time period or whatever. So there were certain things back then. They, they couldn't understand my fascination with Star Wars back then, you know. But, you know, but now that fascination with Star Wars, before it became all trendy, well, and destroyed in these last couple of decades, you know, <laughs> it would always have me thinking about the future and right. really thinking about science and thinking about creativity and now, just being able to be in a space that, you know, to, to sit there and, and enjoy, you know, those type of thoughts, you know, as a child, you know, plays into the way that I look at things now, the way I invest now. And, you know, looking at companies now, see where they're going. When you look at something like a Tesla, you know, an Apple and see where they're going next and what's coming up and you see what's going on in science, like with, you know, gene mapping and, you know, you look at futurists out there, you look at EVs and you look at AI and all this other stuff, you see the good and the bad in that because, you know, all those science, science fiction movies that I loved watching as a kid is now becoming reality. I mean, I was just sitting there. Um, oh, I didn't send it to you. Um, they're getting ready to build a, a hotel in space right now. That should be, they're going to start on that either it's going to be completed by 2025. It's going to be a, a low atmosphere hotel in space, you know, right above the earth's atmosphere. So it's like this big giant sphere. It looks like something from a science fiction movie that we've watched before. They're getting ready to do that now, start building that. And so these are things that, you know, we saw, you know, decades ago in TV and movies or whatever. And I was, I was always the kid that believed, like tell my friends, like one day that's going to happen. They used to laugh at me, <laughs> you know? So, and like, here we are now. You know, so when you start seeing creatures that are out fighting or whatever, and they think, oh, that's not real life. But then 
here we are fast forward 30, 40 years from now. And you got a, you got two kangaroos on the side of a highway in Australia, actually doing jujitsu moves on each other. It's not even like a fake video. It's like, Oh my God, is that a real, that kangaroo put that other kangaroo in a rear naked choke. Okay. So, you know, and you got that big giant kangaroo Joey or whatever. That's like, he's ripped, you know? So, so some of this stuff is happening now. The mutations are going on things that, that we only thought it would happen in science fiction movies is actually happening. So, you know, but it's like, but when I see these things, I'm not surprised because I could see those things as a kid and envision it like, okay, that can happen. And so I always had this broad scope of what could be. And like I said, I was in an environment where I wasn't discouraged by that. They couldn't understand half the stuff I was into, but they were like, Hey, he's not doing drugs. He's not selling drugs. He's not hurting anybody. He's not bullying people. You know, he's in his own little world and so be it. And, you know, for them, they were like, Hey, his grades are good. So, okay, we're good. <laughs> so, so it all worked out. So my thing is, man, and I, and I try to instill that same thing with, with my kids as well. I never try to tell them, Hey, you need to go to college and you need to do this and do that. In fact, I gave them the option. I was like, look, if you, if you, and I've told them from day one, I was like, look, if you want to go to college, make sure you can pay for it. I said, do your best to not have to take out a loan. I said, if it's something that you really want to do, anything that you truly want to do, you're going to put, you're going to put the money behind it, whether it's a right. business, whether it's your education, if it's yours, you're going to, you're going to go all out and put as much into it as possible, you know, because that's your interest. A lot of times, you know, if you, I say, if you got to take a break because you don't have the money, then take a break. My thing, well, even, of course, people, when they hear that, well, what if they take a break and then they never get, they never get, you know, go to college or whatever. They take too long and, you know, they start doing other things and then they get sidetracked. So no, they didn't get sidetracked. They're doing the things they wanted to do. There's no sidetrack. It's like, they didn't want to go in the first place. It really wasn't that important to them. It's like a child, man. When a child wants something, when a baby wants something or a toddler or whatever, there is nothing really you can do to stop them from wanting that. You can sit there and try to like, okay, well, we'll get it next time or here. Let's buy this one instead. They'll have a fit. They will lose their, they'll lose it because they want that thing. And I feel like there are times when it's something that important to you because that's what's important to that child at that time, that toy or whatever, that book or that game. I feel like as adults, we should have that same attitude with things. You know, if it's that important to you, be like that child, be unwavering, no matter what people try to give you a substitute for it or an alternative, just like be unrelenting. Like, no, this is what I want. And then go after that and don't worry about, you know, somebody trying to provide it. See, that's the only thing about a child. They're at the mercy of that adult, the one that can provide whatever it is that child wants. And so therefore, even though they really want it, that adult says, oh, not right now. That child throws a fit because they're powerless at that point. They can't do anything about it. They can't get what they want. But as an adult, you can. So when someone says, nah, you can't do that. You can't start that kettlebell business, man. Come like, on, uh, that's risky. Well, I wasn't asking you. And I didn't need your permission and I didn't need your money. Okay. So when it's my idea and I'm one that's putting the blood, sweat and tears in it to make it happen, then you know what? One of two things. First of all, keep your idea, keep your opinions to yourself. And if you have an opinion, well, it's yours, not mine, or just sit back and you can either, you know, Hey, congratulate me or just say nothing. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, my attitude also was at that time, I, I had wasted so much time in my mind doing stuff I didn't want to do, doing jobs right. I didn't want to do, doing what other people think I should do. So that when I finally had the courage to do what I want to do, I, I didn't need anyone to tell me it's going to work or it's going right. to or give me any support. All I needed was to believe in myself, which I did emphatically. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. There was never a doubt. There were definitely tough moments where I go, I don't know if this is going to work, if this business is going to work. But I, but I, I never doubted that this is where I wanted to be. This is the right. industry I want to be in. And I'm going to, I got to figure out a way to make that work. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I, like I said, I've it, it really, another benefit for that when you have that mindset, it's amazing. There's this thing, you know, we say in our culture, we say that, you know, like, you know, you know, a like, be alike, you know, like attracts like, and when you're carving that path like that, you tend to weed out those naysayers and those doubters, but then at the same time, you tend to attract those who think just like you and they're go-getters as well. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, there's a phrase that says, you know, it's lonely at the top. And 
a lot of times, you know, we were talking earlier about success, really successful people, how not, you know, how really nice they are, you know, and because at the end of the day, they really don't want to be the only ones. They really want to, but at the same time, they don't want to do all the work for you. And they don't want you just mooching off of them for all the information. But when you're a go-getter and they see a little bit of themselves in you, then yeah, man, they're all about that. So along the way, man, like whenever I had an idea like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to start doing, I, I really want to get into that. And once I start paying attention to something that gets my attention like that, I go all in, man. It's just like, I, 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 I get consumed by it. I get obsessed and I get all into that. And then next thing, I'm not even worried about how much money I'm going to make from or anything else. I'm like, I'm just focused on how interesting it is until it's no longer interesting. And along that way, then I end up meeting people who are doing the same thing, heading down the same path, not necessarily in the same area, but had that same mindset. And that's why I have the friendships that I have today. People I've known for 30 years, you know, and, you know, guys like yourself who I've known like well over a decade or whatever. And we still have these conversations where we're exchanging ideas and still like listen to what we're getting into new things or whatever. And they're encouraging each other. And you're like, Oh, okay. Maybe things that we don't necessarily understand. But we're like, well, fuck, I, he's passionate as hell about that. So, you know, at the end of the day, because this is my friend, I, I want to see, I want the best for them. And so if I'm seeing that they're happy about something like that, dude, I'm all for it. You know, it's not harming them, you know, and it's actually keeping them going. Hell yeah. So like I said, it's just something about just really giving, especially for parents out there, you know, giving your child that space to, to be and to fly and to, to have the wings eventually to fly away and take the journey that they need to without stifling with the things that, you know, maybe you missed out on, you know, it may not necessarily been all on you. It might've been like a really strict childhood or whatever, but at the end of the day, your choices are your choices. Let them have theirs. And, you know, even if it is something when they become adults, it might be something that might harm them. And once they're adults, you know, they got to find their own way. You got to just step out of the way, but just the best you can do is just to be there to support them you know, and encourage them and still love them and realize like, okay, they're not alone, no matter what the, what the results are going to be, you know, whether it's, if it's a, some venture that's successful or it just fails terribly, you know, just like, just to be there. And that's the best that you can do instead of trying to be the one in charge or trying to take over or trying to spare them and save them. You know, at some point it's like, you know, they need to learn that self-responsibility, which is becoming a very rare thing these days it is becoming a hot commodity that is hard to find self-responsibility yeah, more, more than other, more than people not getting support or other people talking them out of what they think they want to do the real problem is self-defeating thoughts you're talking yourself out of it and an example is you see a good-looking woman and you think i should go talk to her and then you start saying to yourself oh she's not going to be interested in me why would she want to talk to me i don't have anything to offer her and then, and now you don't have to go talk to her. So you've already rejected yourself before you even gave her a chance to reject you. So a lot of people engage in self-rejection. I was talking to a guy recently who is an aspiring fitness guy. He wants to be in the industry, designing training programs for people, being a trainer. And I was, I was listening to him talk about it. And he said that he doesn't think he can do well because he doesn't have all the things that some of the people he looks at who are doing well have. And I go, that's not the problem. The problem is not that you don't have what you think you need to have, for what those people have. The problem is that you actually think that you need to have what they have. You have more than enough. You have the knowledge, you have the results, and you have the passion. What the average person out there is not looking to compete in a powerlifting contest. They don't care about deadlifting three times their body weight. You know, they don't care about military, military pressing their body weight or doing 20 pull-ups or being able to run 40 yard dash in a elite level of time, right? You know, most people are busy. They've got families, they're working. They want to be strong and fit to enjoy their lives. That's the majority of people that get into the fitness business as uh, on the customer side of things. So you, if you're just trying to target those people who want to reach the elite levels, most people don't make much money working with those people because no. there's not enough of them. And the, and the small, and not only is there not enough of them, usually people that are in that camp don't have that much money. You know? right. it's like, so you got a double negative. 
And I'm not saying that you have to have cast such a wide net where you work with everybody, but I think what, what is more important is someone's mentality. That was always my thing when I used to design programs for people. I go, what's your mentality? I don't care about what your abilities are. I don't, I don't need to only work with people that are at a good level and they want to get to a great level. I want to work with people that have a strong mentality. They're willing to put in the work. They're willing to follow directions. They're, they're ready to make changes. If someone has that mentality, they were a fit for me. They didn't have to be, okay, they want to be strong just like me. Like, I want to do what you do. I want to, I want to bowl the lift an 88 pound kettlebell for reps. I want to bowl to do this. That, that, that was, I mean, I worked with some people like that, but that wasn't the majority. And that, and that wasn't something that even excited me. I wanted people that were mentally strong, ready to make changes. Right. Exactly. So I think that what happens with that, when you start looking at, oh, I want to, I want to coach and design for these elite level people, whatever else. That right there is already a sure sign that most likely you're probably focused on the money and not the process and not, not the actual thing that you're getting into. You know, you're focused on how, cause you're like, okay, if I get the big stars or the big athletes, I can get paid. And yeah, you might get one, one day later on down the line after you put in all the work, all the freebies you're going to have to get in just to get your name out there. Or you can build a nice business by really changing the lives of everyday people. And you get a lot more of those people because they're going to go out and tell others who are willing to pay for your services. Whereas a lot of these elite quote unquote air quotes, their people, these elite athletes or whatever else, they may tell other people, but some of their peers or whatever, they're, they're not trying to pay. <laughs> they're not trying to pay because they're like, well, dude, you know, it should be an honor for you just to work with me at this point. You know, because, well, you know, who have you trained? So I'm doing you a favor. Whereas that common everyday person is not thinking like that. And so my thing is really get your niche down. Who are you really, who do you really care about reaching out to? Like, really, not who can give you the most money. You know, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting compensation for your services, of course. But if that's the, if that's the main reason that you're doing what you're doing, you won't be doing it for long. I guarantee you, it won't take much. It'll just take one bad client to throw everything off. And you're like, you know what? F this. I'm not, I'm done with this. I'm done. And you become the jaded guy, the jaded trainer. You know, who's like, I used to be a trainer. I used to hear that so much. Yeah. I used to be a trainer at ballets. I mean, you can stop the sentence right there, bro. <laughs> I already know where this is going. Well, I used to be a trainer 24 man back in the day. And, and, and yeah, okay, we're done. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. So basically you, you just had, that was a job. That was really a job for most, most folks. So yeah, man. So at the end of the day, like I said, just be very like stay, find your lane and run in it. And guess what? There's going to be times you're going to be in that lane. There's not going to be one single car in that lane. Well, that's cool. That means I'm gonna get to my destination a lot faster. I don't have to worry about some person detouring, hitting their brakes, none of that stuff. You know, it's just like, it's a smooth ride. Sometimes those backcountry roads, man, those make the best trips. So a lot of times when you find a business or something like, or, or an industry or career, that's more like a backcountry road. Enjoy that, man. Sometimes just turn the radio on, sit back and, and chill, you know? And, and pe people really diminish how important, how powerful being really excited about something is. And what I mean by that is I, I have talked to people who are in a profession that I don't find remotely exciting. I would never want to do it myself, but they're so excited about it. Right. I go, okay. I need to look into this. <laughs> right. Because of their excitement. I mean, I know people who love playing tennis. I don't like playing tennis. I played tennis as a kid, never appealed to me, but when you hear them talk about tennis, I mean, they analyze every aspect of it and they're so passionate about it that, I mean, it doesn't make me want to do what they do, but it makes me want to listen to what they have to say. Exactly. It's interesting. And it makes so me watch whatever. a tennis match a lot differently. You know, right. like, you know, I start right. seeing things like, oh, damn. Okay. Didn't I mean, know. I don't want to compete in MMA, but I'm, I, I enjoy talking to people who do compete in MMA, but we've had Matt Brown on the show and Mac Dan's yep. boss root. Dale. Yeah. Yeah. Dale Hart. I mean, those guys are really interesting to talk to because they're, they, they chose a path that is totally unconventional and did really well in it. And they're all very excited about it. Nobody gets into MM. Nobody tries to get into the UFC who's not excited about being a fighter. Like, come on, man. It's like, you got to be really excited with the potential of getting your ass kicked and getting things <laughs> broken. And, you know, and hell, even the potential of like getting beat to death. Okay. You know, so 
you got to be very excited about that, man. And you got to be slightly crazy, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of things that we do that you got to be, you got, when it comes to something that you're truly into, you've got to have a, a level of insanity about it. There's got to be something that's just unconventional. It's got to be like, dude, you're out of your damn mind. If that's what you want to do. Fuck. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. You have to be, you have to be, you just really can't be sane and rational <laughs> about these things. You got to be very irrational about it. Like, nah, man, I, I'm gonna make this work. I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna hone it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the effort into it. I'm gonna do what's necessary and, and then get the system in place to make this work because it means that much to me. That right there is a level of insanity. Everything that I've ever been super passionate about in the fitness industry has always materialized. It's always successful, man. Yeah. It's like I've now, never failed. I dabbled in where I wasn't that passionate about it, and and I, it didn't work out. And I, honestly, I didn't stick with it long enough to make it work. Right. Stop for me. I just move on. Like, but, sincere, how many businesses have you failed at? None. Why? Because <laughs> I realized, uh, I don't give a shit about this. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, and by that time, you'll never know about it. Only I knew. <laughs> it's just me and these yellow these yellow pads that i have and i write down my ideas and my notes and well, then it's like that, that video that video idea ken blackburn came up with on how to combine kettlebell training with the tango dance i mean no one knows about that because he realized several tango dancing lessons in that it wasn't a good fit <laughs> so you need rhythm brother you need some rhythm <laughs> yeah so i mean it's <laughs> there are people now running the YouTube. Ken Blackburn. What? 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 <laughs> once you've had what? <laughs> once you've done one thing, like once I've made the kettlebell business work, now you know how to make any business work. Exactly. Like, Systems. You're, you're able to parlay those skills because the supplement business, which is still in the fitness industry, but I took the same concept and skills that I learned from building a successful kettlebell business and a fitness gym business in general, and just pivoted to that, and that worked too. But the reason why it worked is I, I never do anything that I'm not genuinely enthusiastic about. I got into kettlebell training because I love it. Now, I got out of kettlebell training because the enthusiasm wasn't there anymore. And that's a sign to get out of it. I'm not going to just stick it out and be miserable for the rest of my life. Right. And then I, supplements is something that I was into way before kettlebell training. I used to take supplements when I was in high school. I was always intrigued by the idea that you could take something and have an improvement in performance. That always intrigued me. So I've always been someone that's very well researched in supplements years before I got into making my own and selling them. So that was another natural fit. I wasn't thinking, well, shit, you know, I bet I can make a lot of money selling supplements. Let me do that. You're not going to make a lot of money selling supplements with that mentality. It has to be something where you've used the formulas that you're going to sell and you got great results and you can't wait for other people to try it. It has to be that mentality. So as long as you're always leading with, I'm extremely enthusiastic about whatever it is, whether it's writing a book, teaching a course, making supplements, making videos, whatever it is. If you're genuinely excited about it, it doesn't mean that there's a hundred percent chance it's going to work, but you're definitely stacking the deck in your favor of making it work. Exactly. Because I mean, you're going to, you're going to pretty much try to push it to the limits to make sure you're not going to be easily discouraged once one thing doesn't go your way which is with something that you don't care about a couple of hiccups. You're like, you know what? Screw this. I ain't got time for this. <laughs> Look, I, know, I know a guy who was passionate about used women's underwear. And this guy is a connoisseur of used <laughs> women's panties. And he makes money, good money doing that. People think I'm, people think I'm joking right now. They're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Trust me, this guy, this, this was this guy's side hustle. To start with, <laughs> it became his main hustle because and this guy knows a lot. I was like, look, I didn't realize there was so much to think about with this world. I <laughs> has clearly bought that. Now, would I get into that industry? No, because I'm not passionate about that. Okay. I am I'm not passionate about used draws, man. Yeah, okay. I've never had a passion for sniffing used women's underwear. Not even women that I'm with. Okay. <laughs> now, that's just not my thing. <laughs> now, there's, there's other guys where that's their thing. And no one's getting hurt. We're talking about adults here, right? Consenting. They're all consenting. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about adult female women that are supplying this product. And and this guy is supplying the product to the demand. All right. He's flipping it. He's he's a penny flipper, man. That's what he is. <laughs> 
guys all telling me about this at the barber shop, <laughs> talking loud about it. I was like, Jesus Christ, man, I can't believe we're having this conversation. <laughs> People are all looking at me like I'm one of his customers. Like, no, 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 man, I come here to get a haircut. Okay? They're, looking, they're looking at Mike like, hey, man, you don't want to invest in this company? <laughs> Oh, you know what? I probably would invest in the company as long as it's a silent. <laughs> I don't want to be publicly associated. With it. <laughs> Look, in Japan, there are vending machines. Yeah. They have vending now, machines. I know, man. Yeah, used women's underwear. Now, we're assuming that women wore these. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs> that's another discussion altogether, all right? It's like you said that you purchased one in the airport, and then you smell like, why does it smell like brute? <laughs> <laughs> It's like this guy put this underwear. This, on these panties smell like Old Spice, man. What the like heck? I had his dog wear this underwear for the day. Like, is it me, <laughs> or does this smell like I don't know Alpo? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're going too far this time. <laughs> right. this, this this discussion took a ugly U turn. <laughs> People are like, wait a minute. I thought this was a discussion about that big regret. <laughs> well, hey, this is what we're talking about not having regrets here. To my, to my, be very be very mindful when you're going to a Japanese airport and you're buying underwear from a vending machine. Okay. So I'd hate for you to get it and then take one whiff and regret the fact that that's not, it's not being worn by who you thought it was being worn by. But you know, you know what the thing is, is that we, we get a lot of bad advice too, or at least I did, where you know, people try to feed you a lot of guilt. And an example of that is, oh man, you should be happy you have a job and you have a roof over your head and you can feed your family. Yeah, there's always that. You, you, know, like, you know, yeah, the, yeah, you know what the, right. going, the going quote was <laughs> to my, in my culture <laughs> is the yeah. fact that like when you, let's just say you're being served some food that you don't want, <laughs> it doesn't taste good. Let's just be honest. It tastes like crap. You better eat that food. There are starving kids in Africa that would love to have that food. No, they wouldn't. This sucks. <laughs> just stop that. So, and then I'm like, how many African kids do you know? He's like, you're sick of that, man. He's like, you should feel fortunate that you have that you have a meal. I'm like, yeah, but since I'm fortunate, can I at least have one that actually tastes good? It's like, seriously. <laughs> but yeah, you should be happy that you have a job. There, there are people out there. You know, there's like. Well, like a hundred and something million people out there right now that don't have jobs. I'm well, like, yeah. me, me not pursuing what I want to do in my life is not going to have a positive or never negative impact on any of those people. <laughs> right. So me, me staying at a job I hate because there's other people who wish they had it. That doesn't help them in any way. Right. <laughs> so there's no reason for me to do something I hate. Yeah. Yeah. You, we all should be grateful. When you wake up in the morning, you should be grateful that you're alive. You should yeah, be grateful day. that your legs work. You should be grateful that you can see. You should be grateful that you can hear. You can be, you should be grateful you have good people in your life. Yeah, sure. But that those, those are not excuses for not wanting more for yourself. Wanting better, you know. For wanting better. Exactly. Those are reasons to want better. It's like, look, I'm healthy and I owe it to myself to, you know, to do better with my life and my health. It's like, okay, I I got this start today when I woke up. How can I enhance this? You know, how can I make, how can I improve on this? Why would you not want to improve? If you didn't want to improve, we wouldn't even be human beings. We wouldn't be walking around on two feet if we didn't want to improve. Obviously, we got tired of crawling around on all fours. <laughs> Obviously, the shit was not cool anymore. So somebody is like, you know what? I'm going to try to stand the hell up. I'm going to figure out a way. Hell, honestly, if, if it wasn't about trying to be, like improve, we'd still be amoeba. <laughs> you know, we'd still be single-cell organisms swimming around in crap. You know, but obviously that amoeba was like, you know what? This sucks. I'm splitting myself up in two and we're going to keep on doing this stuff until we can advance because it sucks here in, in this dirty water. Okay. So yeah, man. So why would you not want to improve? That is part of the human experience is to want to improve. Otherwise you'd still be crawling. You'd still be lying down in a crib on your back and hoping someone to turn you over because, you know, because babies want to improve. They may not know consciously that's what they're trying to do, but eventually the baby's like, I want to get out of this crib on my own because I get sick of waiting for this adult. And I want to eat my own food because crying, they're not moving fast enough. So I got to figure out a way. And they, they improve. They talk. They walk. Sometimes they end up becoming adults that talk too much. <laughs> okay, but hey, again, improvement. Why would you not want to do that? You know, why would you just want to maintain? There's no such thing as maintaining. 
No, even if you try. Right. You're either, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. That's exactly. And it doesn't necessarily mean superficially, such as, okay, um, you're, you're getting older and you're working out, but you're not getting stronger. So you're, so you're getting worse. Like, no, you, you, don't, you can get better in other areas. You can always improve in something. You know, maybe you've maxed out your potential in terms of brute strength, but now you can improve your conditioning. Now you can improve your mobility. Now you can improve some, maybe something you haven't focused on. So there's always avenues to improve something. It, it never has to be something where you be that person who talks about what you used to be able to do. That's always depressing to me too. Yeah, I used to be able to do that. Oh, I used to be able to do this. Oh, I used to be able to do that. That's, that, I, I never want to be that guy. That's, that's a terrible place to be. Right. Yeah, Captain used to. <laughs> Captain used to. <laughs> I used to. I used to. I used to. Is, is, is there a used on here? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, damn. Honestly, <laughs> we were joking about, you know, in that book that that first regret could be the whole book. That first regret became this whole episode. Yeah, we, we, the next episode could be the next one. We got yeah, next, I was thinking about that. We, we got the next the whole... four episodes panned out already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're good now. <laughs> so, but yeah, man. But so, you know, I feel like that going forward until the next episode, like really think about that, people. Like, again, we were, Mike and I were talking about just how this pandemic had really created opportunities, you know, for both of us. And actually, we realized that, hey, man, you know, we're doing okay during all this and, you know, being grateful for that, you know, because there are a lot of people that are not okay, but it definitely put us in a position like, okay, things that we've been doing, things got tested. Whereas normal life was as normal. It just, everything would be good. And it's like, okay, things are good. But when things go just the opposite of what's been happening in everyday life, now you really get to see, just how good things really are, especially when it comes to business, when it comes to life or whatever else, even your health. You, now you really get to put things to the test and you really get to see all those deposits that you've been making throughout the years or whatever. You get to see those, they pay dividends. And so, you know, that being said, it was just like, take this time now, you know, so look at, I would just say, look at where you are right now. You know, so things are starting, you know, let them tell it. Things are starting to improve in life right now. And they're heading toward a certain normal. But the thing is, do you really want to head back to normal compared to what it was before all the stuff started? You know, where, you know, where are you career wise? Where are you financially? Where are you physically? Where are you emotionally? All those different things. And look at that. Look at where you were so you can get an idea where you can go next. And then look at some of those beliefs that you may maybe that you held on to up until this thing happened, because that's the one thing about reality. Sometimes it can shake you and shake those beliefs and make you question them. Sometimes that's not a bad thing. So look at yourself and look at the things that, you know, again, going back to this first regret, thinking about, again, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life of others. And just take, take some time out, man. And just think about what kind of life are you living right now? Is this the life you truly want to live? Right. Or is this somebody else's story? Is this somebody else's tale that you're telling right now? Yeah, are you now, are you, are you the Morgan Freeman of somebody else's life right now? Are you narrating their life? You know, so you, you really think about it. Is this truly your life? And, and, you know, take some time to question that. Like, is this really what I want to do? And if it isn't, okay, now that you've acknowledged that again, once again, famous Sean Connery, untouchables quote, what are you prepared to do? Yeah. It's not, it's not always career related. Sometimes no. it could be your, your, there's social pressure for you to get married and have kids. And you know that you don't want to do either. I mean, there was like, I don't have kids and there, and I wouldn't say that I had strong parental pressure to have kids, but there was definitely pressure there. And there was definitely pressure in society. It's like, Hey, when are you going to get married and have kids? I'm married, but I don't have kids. And I married a woman who didn't, doesn't want to have kids. And that was one of the highlights of her when Carol and I first started dating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, that's another thing, man. <laughs> I, I'm just being honest with myself. And now imagine if I decided to have kids just to, to, to meet someone else's expectations. People that's do it terrible. every day. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be a parent that doesn't want to be a parent. Right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. But I definitely don't want to do that because that's such an important task. It's such an important role. It's, it's possibly the most important role you're ever going to have. Right. If, once you go down that road. So it's, it has to be something that you really want to do. And if you, and if you don't want to do it, you got to be honest with yourself about it because that's way too much responsibility to take on when you don't want to do it. 
And some people, they, they're, they're not meant to be monogamous. They, they don't, the, the marriage doesn't work for them. They want to be single. Look, look at someone like Bill Maher. The guy's never been married. And he's, we don't know a whole lot about his dating life, or at least I don't, because I never look into it. But it doesn't sound like he has, he's in a relationship with any one woman. And he's out there doing whatever he wants to do. And that's, that's being honest with himself. I know guys who would love to do that, but they, didn't, they never had the courage to be that person. They, right. got, they, they wanted to meet the expectations of others. So their, their girlfriend wanted to get married. And that's why he proposed and got married. His girlfriend, now wife, wanted to have kids. And that's why they have kids or mm-hmm. vice versa. So this, it's not just about the career path. Sometimes you, you have the courage to do what you want to do in your career path. But when it comes to your personal life, you're still trying to live up to the expectations of others. Right. But at the end of the day, you got to remember, it's still your life. Even when there's someone else involved, that's still your life. So therefore, you got to make the choices that work best for you. Sometimes that means you got to walk away if they, you know, there's no compromise. But at the end of the day, like I said, just stick to your guns, you know, and what truly makes you happy. Because the thing is, if you're miserable, you're going to guess what? (laughs) Just like you can share that happiness, you can spread that misery just as quickly. And so you can end up ruining someone else's life and then giving them a whole new set of baggage that they're going to take somewhere with them. If things end between you and that person, most, and most importantly, that's you just purchasing more baggage for yourself that you're going to deal with later. That's just more time on, on the couch when it's time to go to therapy, you know? So again, a lot of these things can be avoided by just really being honest with yourself and understand like, nah, that's not for me. And at the end of the day, what can someone do other than like, they could either, okay, well, I'm going to proceed with you anyway, or, well, it's, that won't work for me either. Okay. then we can just part as friends or maybe not. But at the end of the day, you know, you made a choice for yourself and that's, you can live with that a lot more than making a choice that you that totally went against who you were because that's what makes life unbearable as hell. And that's when you get that regret right there. Yeah, exactly. And th- those are the, those are the regrets that you, you really don't want to have. Life is people always say life is short. It's not short. If you're doing something you hate. No, it's, <laughs> it's dragging or, out. Or professionally. But sometimes I look at some married couples and, I mean, there's no passion whatsoever anymore. There's no romance. There's no intimacy. They're snarky with like, each other. They're disrespectful. Yeah, there's other. sarcasm and no one's trying to look good for each other anymore or please each other. It's become basically roommates. And I say for, I'm, not, I'm by no means a relationship expert, but this, this acronym that I came up with makes sense for me. And it's, it's funny because it spells out LARD, L-A-R-D. <laughs> and L stands for everybody wants love in a relationship. A, everybody wants to be appreciated. You know, R, everybody wants respect. And then D, desire. And if you have those four things, you're going to be really happy in a relationship. And a lot of times people don't have any of those things. And a lot of times they don't have the love because no one's even saying it to each other anymore. No one's even saying I love you anymore. They, oh, she knows. She knows how I feel. <laughs> right. Oh, how I, feel. <laughs> I don't have to say it. And then appreciation. You never give her a compliment anymore. I've, I've talked to women who go, you know, my husband hasn't given me a compliment in years. And I go, that's terrible. Yeah, it's really terrible because then the next guy that actually gives her a compliment, we yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. If if you if you want your woman to avoid cheating on you, you got to give her those four things, and you should get those four things from her. Yep. But you got to give her those four things because a lot of times when a, when a woman cheats, it's because she's not getting those four things, and you can blame her all you want, but you you got to look in the mirror too and say, what wasn't I doing that led her to feel that she had to get it from someone else? That part, you know. That you got to ask yourself that shit because it's easy to be like, oh, she shouldn't have done that. Well, maybe what did you do? <laughs> what did yeah, you do? Maybe she shouldn't have done that, but maybe you should have been doing these fucking four things, motherfucker. <laughs> you ever think about that? <laughs> right. It takes two to tango unless you're Ken Blackburn. No tango, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't ripped on Ken in a long time. So I know, man. I, I don't want him thinking that we, you know, there's still no love for him here. It's like, you, you're still our boy, man. So that's why we rip on him. <laughs> yeah, we're giving you some love, some appreciation. We're not going to give you any desire because, you know, just don't see you that way, Ken. No, nah, we're good. <laughs> you got the love, appreciate, and respect. Okay, three out of four. <laughs> <in that. laughs> So, yeah, man. Actually, one more A I came up with. So it was like L A A. Laird. It's Laird. <laughs> I forget that one right now. So I guess it wasn't that important. But, 
those four are definitely important. I mean, it, and I think it's important to have fun in a relationship too. I mean, I mean, like when people get to the point where you're just sitting around watching TV each night and you're watching stuff that neither one of you is interested in, you're not going out, you're not doing fun stuff, you're not doing things that are, you're not doing anything to make each other feel special, I guess. Right. That's, that stuff's important. Like, look, if you're that guy who only sends his wife or girlfriend flowers on Valentine's Day, <laughs> You, know, you got some problems, man. Right. You know, that should not be the case. Like, hey, let's go out to a nice restaurant. Why? Because it's Valentine's Day? You didn't think about that during any other day of the year? That's, that's too easy, bro. Come on. Come on. Yeah, put man. some effort it's, into it. Yeah. Put you some know. effort. Like, both people need to put effort into shit because otherwise that's, it's, it's not a relationship that is going to sustain itself. And if, if it does, it's, it's not one I would want to be in where, when you're basically just roommates. You're basically have this platonic relationship right there's it's you're just, cordial to each other but that's about it come on yeah, yeah. you know it's, it becomes this basis now a it's basically a business now it's all about you know well if i die you know at least i know she can sign off at the hospital because she's my next of kin and vice versa you know it just becomes this these necessary things at that point it's like oh that's that's ugh, that's gross <laughs> when when it's come down to that's the only thing that it is you know it's just become this necessity thanks to society's certain standards that they have in certain situations, you know? So, nah, that's not living, man. That's not, that's not a relationship. You know, there's nothing relatable about that. Okay. So if you want to call that a relationship, that ship is sinking slowly. <laughs> Seriously. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Ponder on that folks. <laughs> <laughs> Until we come back with the next set of regrets. <laughs> so yeah, ponder on that. Instead of saying "fuck you," I'm going to say "large you." <laughs> large, large you. <laughs> That's a way to end this. <laughs> yeah, you guys can go lard off. Go lard <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, spend some time and be a lard ass. Okay. <laughs> oh man! All right, folks. So yeah, we'll come back with those other regrets in the next episode. So until next time, take care, folks. Take care, everyone. That wraps up this week's Live Life Aggressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Aggressively show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode episode that is not available to the public our patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving patron only discount codes beginning at 15 percent off on all products on mikemahler.com and newwarriortraining.com don't forget to rate and review us on apple Podcasts, spotify and stitcher lastly be sure to share the episode by following us on social media on facebook as well as our new account on instagram until the next episode take care everybody <laughs>